shines like, like light, as we heard in the gospel, and he's with uh, Moses and Elijah. And the big thing to remember about this uh, feast is that it really is a theophany. We call, of course, the baptism of Christ, that feast on January 6th, we call that theophany. Because that's the first time where we have the three persons of the Trinity revealed to the, the people. But this feast, the transfiguration of Christ, is also a theophany. It's a revelation of who God is. And we have all three persons of the Trinity present. We have, of course, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Word of God, who is standing there before Peter, James, and John. Likely as if nothing was going to happen, perhaps. And then all of a sudden we have him shining brilliantly, the power of the Holy Spirit coming forth from him, uh, revealing him for who he is, because that's the, the, the purpose, the, the goal of the Holy Spirit is to reveal who Jesus Christ is. And so the Holy Spirit shines forth and reveals him to the apostles. And then the Father confirms it. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Hear him. And Peter, James, and John are struck with awe and fear, and the icon is great about that because it shows them really falling down on their knees and worshiping Christ in that moment. What a beautiful theophany of our Lord. But you know, it's not a change. It wasn't a change for who Christ was. And as a theophany, that means it's a direct revelation of who God is, not something that, that Jesus all of a sudden became at that moment. What changed was actually Peter, James, and John and their ability to see Christ for who he really is. Prior to that, they had too, much, too many things going on in their own hearts for them to be able to behold the glory of God in a greater way as they were able to behold it at this great feast. And we hear that in the, the hymnography today where it says that they beheld the glory in proportion as they could bear it. And in order for them to do so, they had to chip away at their own hearts. And they had to be able to see Christ again for who he is and not for who they perhaps thought that he was. And Peter's a great example of this. Because immediately before the transfiguration, or I guess six days, the start of chapter 17 says six days after this event, the transfiguration comes. But six, so six days prior, Peter has his great uh, words of who Jesus Christ is. Christ asks him, who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, is the one who answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's A plus, Peter. And in fact, that's basically what, what uh, Christ says. Father John likes to say, you got a hundred. Christ could have looked at Peter and said, you got a hundred. On this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But then a little bit later, Christ starts talking about how that means he's going to be crucified, that he's going to be killed, and he's going to raise after three days. And now after having declared to the apostles, the rest of the group, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter couldn't rebuke Jesus publicly. So it says in the scripture that he pulled Jesus aside and said, no, that's not what's going to happen. Remember, I told you, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And therefore, that means, I don't know, perhaps you're going to set up a, a kingdom for us. You're going to live forever, and you're going to make sure that everything goes well. And what does what Christ respond to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. 
deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, and otherwise you don't have any life in you, is what Christ tells Peter, and to all of us. And finally, Peter gets it. And after getting it, that is when six days later, he is able to see Christ for who he is. And brothers and sisters, I think so much of the time, that's where at least I am. My expectation of what Christ, what God will do for me is sometimes vastly different than who he actually is and what he actually desires. He desires above everything, first and foremost, our salvation, our happiness, our comfort. Those things are secondary. Perhaps joy, perhaps comfort in the sense that we are content, that we are able to see and experience the peace of God, but he desires our salvation over and above everything else. And once we realize that that means we have to take up our cross and follow after him and actually do that, that's when we see Christ for who he is. And the same was true even of Moses and Elijah who were there with Christ. Moses had been many, many months in the desert by the time he had his experience on the mountain that we heard at Great Vespers last night where he saw the backside of, of God. Same thing with Elijah. Elijah sits under the tree and basically says, I'm ready to die. Please stop this. And he's visited and ministered to by an angel and told, no, you still have a long way to go. And it was only then that he was able to hear God in the still small voice. When they, when they both recognize their need to humble themselves and to follow the call of God by taking up their cross and following after Christ, then they saw God for who he truly is. And so the same is true for us. Until we faithfully take up our cross, obediently hear the words of Christ and follow them. Remember, that's what that voice from heaven said. Hear him. Until we do that, who we think Christ is will be different from who he really is. And we won't be able to see him in all of his glory. And so the challenge for us today is to truly take up our cross and follow after him. Because then we'll be able to see him in all of his glory and then everything will be different. In the beautiful hymnography that we sang last night, it said that because they saw this moment, Peter, James, and John were then able to understand better the crucifixion and the resurrection and be able to spread that to the rest of the world. And so the same will be true for us as well. When we take up our cross and follow Christ and see Christ for who he truly is, we will be able to see and experience the rest of our life knowing that Christ is the victor. Knowing that whatever it is that we are, are enduring and struggling with is not just something that is frustrating, not just something that, that is annoying, that causes bitterness, that causes anger and despair in our hearts, but it will be something that will be in itself an opportunity for us to experience God and to see Him for who He is, to know Him as the victor, and to experience that victory ourselves by, by seeing him as that victor. So this feast is a challenge. It is something that is encouraging for us because we see the, the, uh, the theophany, the revelation of God. But it is a challenge for us to be able to whittle away at our hearts and not have the expectations of who we think God is, but to deny ourselves, take up our cross, see him for who he 
so that we can endure whatever it is that we are wrestling with to the very end and so that we can see the kingdom of God come with power because that's, that's what Christ promises to the apostles before the transfiguration. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come with power. If we take up our cross and follow Christ and hear him, if we see him for who he is, we too will experience the kingdom of God come with power. And may we see that, not only in the world,